Thank you for joining us for Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're pleased to be talking with Scott Hyde today. We're going to be talking about some engineering stuff, probably over, certainly over my head, Lou, it may be over yours, I don't know. Uh, you may be smarter in engineering than I am, but we're going to find out the cool stuff that Scott is doing, and we look forward to his contribution to the body of work we're putting together under this manufacturing umbrella. Scott, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You're welcome, Tim. Thanks. I Glad think you're here. I think we're going to be talking about engineering to order. Is that uh, kind of sum it, sum it up, Scott? That's it. You know, we we focus on helping companies that make customized products, products that they have to make specific to each of their customers. Um, that is a big uh, business benefit for them, a competitive advantage to make a specific product. But at the same time, it takes a lot of extra time and effort and cost to do that. And our role in this is to help them automate some of those steps and make that a much more efficient process. So we're, we're talking about software, correct? Yes. So there's a uh, software um, underlying product we call Knowledge Bridge, but um, that is used to capture the rules about how the product goes together. And then those rules get executed in an automated way to generate a proposal document or a drawing or a, a CAD model. And uh, in doing so, saving lots of time, reducing mistakes, um, and, and just being more effective uh, in their business. So you're sort of teaching your computer how to be an engineer, is that right? That's exactly right. In fact, we've jokingly used the term engineer in a box. So <laughs> if we can capture what an engineer would otherwise do to create a quote, for example, then that sales guy out in the field can sit with a customer and do a configuration of a heat exchanger or a custom window or door or elevator, whatever it happens to be. And since the engineering is being done by the software following the rules, he can be assured that it's a valid and accurate um, solution for that customer without having to go through that whole process of going back in-house, checking it over and, and doing a lot of extra work. So in, in some cases, we're able to you know, put that engineer in the box, make it possible for a lot more people to do a quote or a proposal document than otherwise would would be able to do it. Do I do I sense the fact that the engineer's job is um, on the edge of a cliff? <laughs> well, believe me, mostly what we get is thank you um, because the engineers really don't want to be involved in that that hurried uh, you know process of putting together a quote. They'd rather be focused on the special cases, not not doing the same things over and over again, just with different numbers and different values, but actually exploring new solutions and creative solutions where the automation may not apply. So um, frankly, uh, you know, we, we don't get pushback from the engineers. and. And in fact, you know, what we found with uh, several of our companies when we've gone back and really analyzed things is uh, 
um, you know, they, they have the same number of engineers. They're just doing three times the business that they were doing before. And so they're able to just make them more efficient. And, and frankly, for a lot of the, you know, industrial Midwest type companies, especially out in more rural locations, it's really hard to scale a business that's dependent on expertise like, uh, you know, engineers and so, and, and hire people and get them to come. And so if they can automate some of those processes, it gives them an option for scaling the business that doesn't require, you know, bringing in a lot of people from elsewhere. So uh, I'm sort of a numbers guy. So let me ask you, uh, in a typical project, what percent of the uh, engineering workload is taken over by your software? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, as you can imagine, all over the map, because it depends on how much of those processes are repeatable. How much can we capture in the rules to be repeatable? We've had some cases where it was, you know, 90% and, and other cases where it's, you know, 40% or 30%. Um, but if, uh, you know, if it's 30% of hundreds and thousands of man hours in some cases, that's a big value. And in the cases, in the cases where it's 90%, it's, it's for a relatively simple product, typically that's being done over and over and over again. And so we're able to capture that and make it much easier. Um, for the much more complex products, it's more typically 70, 60%, something like that. So can the salesperson, uh, as you put it in the field, can he do this on his iPad in front of the customer? Yeah, or yes. And uh, so we have all the cases. So we have some cases where the, the users of our technology are the the actual application engineers, it's just making them more effective. We have the case where the sales guy uses it while he's with the customer. We also have the case where the customer uses it. So we put it on the website and the customer is actually filling out the information about what he wants and the engineering's happening behind the scenes. So it, again, it kind of depends on the product and the complexity and the market but each of those scenarios is, is possible. Is this a uh, for sale software, lease, rent? Ah, yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, I've been involved for, we won't say how many decades uh, with this type of business, this design automation business. And um, this new product, Knowledge Bridge, one of the key elements of it is we, wanted to take advantage of modern technology and the modern internet infrastructure. And so we made it cloud-based from the start. So there's virtually uh, no installation, upgrades are easy, all of that. And based on that, we do a, a, a SaaS type subscription uh, pricing. So um, yes, it's a, it's a sub sub subscription type pricing model and it's a cloud-based uh, deployment, a SaaS type deployment. And, and upgrades and uh, improvements to the software is all automatic. But yeah, and bundled in and, and automatic, that's right. So it makes, it makes the, 
support for these kinds of applications incredibly easier. Um, you know, we have some customers that have as many as, you know, a thousand or more seats um, being used in the field by their sales teams. And the, um, the logistics of bundling software, deploying it, doing installers and, and all of the kind of stuff that you have to do for traditional software to get them to run it on their computer is just a daunting thing when you consider you can just sit down at your computer and log in with your mount, you know, with your, uh, with your uh, computer and boom, you're logged in and that's it. You don't have to install anything. You don't have to do anything and it's there. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing for us and for our customers. You know, one of the things that uh, Tim and I have experienced, uh, uh, my primary business is uh, All Metals and Forge Group, which is a forging company. Mm -hmm. And uh, been doing it for, uh, I'm not afraid to say, uh, mm -hmm. six decades. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, the things, and we we started Manufacturing Talk Radio and the other podcast uh, about seven years ago. And it's really amazing what Tim and I have uh, learned uh, about the technology uh, that's out there and uh, some of which is uh, being created uh, as we speak. Uh, and the primary reason for our doing a manufacturing talk radio show and the other podcast shows is to be able to convey your message or whoever's message right. to the manufacturing base, mm -hmm. uh, not only here in this country, uh, but for example, we had a gentleman on uh, two days ago uh, who was in Germany. Yeah. Uh, and we're beginning to uh, get our word going around around the world. Yeah. And it, it's and, and even that in itself, uh, the uh, ability for us to be able to do this. There uh, <laughs> was, was one particular event that uh, uh, Tim was in, Tim's in Atlanta, I'm in New Jersey. Uh, but I was in Brazil uh, at a uh, oil and gas exploration show. Mm -hmm. Our guest was uh, in California. I don't remember exactly who it was. And it worked like a dream. We were on, uh, you know, two ends of one continent and I was in uh, uh, South America. And it, it just amazes me that yeah. all of this is available to yeah. and. And we've taken a lot of effort to make it efficient, even on the internet. Um, it's We're doing a lot of geometry. Our configurator is a very visual environment. So you can see the mod, see the product in 3D. You can interact with it, um, drag and drop and snap things in place. And so there's a lot of stuff there, right? But we've taken the time to make it very efficient. I've I've done uh, demonstrations running off of, uh, you know, my hotspot on my iPhone sitting in a conference room in Tokyo and, you know, had no problems. It, uh, it, it worked well. And we have customers in Japan. We have customers in Germany. Um, we actually have an employee, believe it or not, in Nigeria that uses it every day. And, and there's no, you know, the performance just isn't an issue. And that's, that's really a testament to this new technology and where we're going. So. 
Tim and I were at a, a trade show about a year or two ago, and it was uh, it was one vendor there that uh, was showing off his uh, uh, software. And do you? Uh, I don't know if you're a Trekkie, a Star Trekkie, but there was a, a room that they would go into, four walls, a ceiling, and a floor, and they can create whatever environment they want. And you're in that room. Right. Well, this particular vendor, you could go inside the machine that he built. <laughs> and you can walk around and yeah. look for defects, see where you can cut corners and so on. It was really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. We are uh, creating uh, 3D models, 3D scenes. Um, we do shading and materials. So it looks, I wouldn't say completely photorealistic, but very realistic. And yeah. um, we're moving towards doing a, uh, a VR type, a virtual reality type of output from our system it, and augmented reality. So a lot of, we have customers, for example, that make custom furniture and, and you know, that'll be great when we can, you know, just place that furniture in their environment through an augmented reality type system and have them see exactly what it's going to look like. Right now they can see it in a 3D rendered walkthrough type of environment, but to be able to see it right in their in their environment will be great. So incredible. Scott as CEO of Engineering Intent Corporation, I appreciate you sharing and I'd like to hear a couple more stories about actual products where the customer has used this in a very challenging situation. What what are some of the more challenging ones you've come across? Yeah, so um, you know we get used across a real wide variety of, of of equipment. The commonality is the customization, and so um, just some simple examples. Um, like I mentioned, uh, custom furniture, um, being able to do quotes of custom furniture in the field and um, have it engineered and designed and priced um, right at that point of sale is, a, is an ideal uh, application. And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we've done large scale transformers, for example. So in that case, you know, the customer doesn't care too much about what it looks like, it better, you know, do its job. And there's a lot of detail um, both engineering detail at the electrical level and mechanical level and thermal and manufacturing considerations and shipping considerations and so on. And all of that has to be taken into account to design this product, um, create the 3D model and create the information necessary to manufacture it. Um, all that has to be taken into account. And so uh, you know, some large scale equipment like that is probably the biggest challenges. Um, we've done some very large heat exchanger type uh, HVAC equipment. So uh, we have, actually have a couple of customers that do the kind of uh, air handling units. Those big look like a mobile home sitting up on top of uh, your building right. that do the air handling. And, and so there's many subsystems within there. Uh, there's many things to be taken into consideration, and um, the, this system, um, you know, maybe step back a little bit, um, it works kind of similar to the way a spreadsheet does. The individual rules are just simple declarations about 
this is three times that, or this has to be two inches from there, or there's a, you know, just simple rules, but the combination of hundreds and sometimes thousands of them ends up being able to design a very complex product in a matter of minutes. And, uh, you know, that's the, you know, it's the fact that you can do that kind of simple step-by-step -step capturing of the the rules and relationships and end up with this ability to do this very large scale design automation is is kind of the special sauce of, of what we what we're all about. Uh, I have a question about if a client customer of yours designs something and they put in a new rule, let's say, yeah. does that new rule then stay in the software? Uh, that other clients can use the same information? No, actually, and that brings up two good points. One is um, it's a highly secure and uh, separated system. The, the, the knowledge that the customers are putting into our system is in effect the family jewels of their company often. It's how their product is made. So companies get very nervous about intellectual property and security and so on. And so we've, you know, put a lot of effort into uh, the building of the security infrastructure of our system so that we can keep separate um, each customer and each customer's IP is, is considered sacrosanct. We don't touch it and, and it's in their own silo. Um, that said, uh, one of the really uh, interesting parts, I think, of, of the way we do this is, you know, I mentioned I've been doing this for three or four decades, not six, but, <laughs> um, but you know, traditionally we've, you know, we go into a company and they make, you know, cooling towers and we start from the ground up and we build this application with them writing all these rules and they, and then we go to another company and we start from the bottom. And, and, and the reality is that engineering is a collaborative environment. Um, no one engineer designs a product. That's it's never the case that one engineer does it. It's dozens, if not hundreds, if you consider all of the vendors and the engineers involved. And so what we've done is made it possible to modularize sets of rules, to put them together into a simple module and test it and evaluate it and, and so on, and then share it so that when we're building up a new application, if, you know, so that cooling tower example, 70% of the rules are not proprietary. They're not specific to them. It's not competitive advantage. It's just the mundane stuff that you need to put together the application. If they can focus on their IP and just bring in modules to do the 70% that's just that mundane piece, then it becomes really efficient to create these applications. Um, the, the applications have super high value, but they take some time to build. So anything we can do to make it to, you know, get to that result faster and easier and make the maintenance of it better is just a, a, a huge thing. And so we've, these modular sets of rules we call projects they're kind of like an app on your iphone and we've actually are launching a uh, an app store we have multiple third parties who have already started to build applications to go into this app store so that in the future as we're building these applications you'll start by just 
buying a few applications or, or getting some of the freeware ones or whatever and pulling them together and then putting your IP in there and it'll just be much easier process. You know, sitting here listening to you, uh, Scott, it, it, it just seems as though that it's a, a tremendous, and I don't know what the cost is, uh, it's a tremendous uh, ROI uh, yeah. towards your uh, product development. <laughs> yeah, the ROI is sometimes we tone it down when we talk to customers <laughs> because it just doesn't sound realistic. And uh, um, the reality is that the product does a lot. It is the absolute best product for doing this kind of automation, but it still work. You still have to know the yeah. rules. You have to put the rules in there. It takes some time and some effort. And it's that connection between, you know, okay, I decided I want to do this to getting the value, you know, shortening that time that's important to us because if that time is a year or two, you know, it gets more difficult to make that decision. Even if the pot of gold is there at the end of the rainbow, you know, if it's three months, then it's a lot easier to make that decision and go after that pot of gold. So um, our, our, you know, job is to help shorten that process. And, and frankly, a lot of companies at this point have tried to do traditional programming to do what we do. And they found that that pot of gold is way out there at the end because there's just too many aspects to it. And um, the programs get complex and big and programmers don't understand engineering or manufacturing. So you have this communication problem. So the whole idea of our product is to make it so you don't need code you just need these rules and the rules can be created and maintained by the engineers themselves they don't have to depend on a bunch of programmers and so it, it just makes it possible again to get to that pot of gold a lot easier and faster and then maintain it after that which is is also a, a big issue well scott this has been really informative content for our viewers but they need to know how to get a hold of you. Oh, great. So share your website with us, if you would, please. Yeah, the website is engineeringintent.com. So just the words engineering, I-N-T-E-N-T.com. And there's we have tons of information there, example cases. You can even run a couple of applications there and kind of get a feel for how it works on the web. And so, and there's, uh, further information about how to contact us directly if you want to. So um, thank you for letting me <laughs> put that plug in. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure they'll find your phone number and email addresses there as well. Yes. And while they're, while they're surfing the web, we encourage them to go to Jacket Media Co. You'll see a yellow jacket. Lou's got a better color <laughs> on today than I do. Uh, for our logo, and we have links to all of our shows at jacketmediaco.com. And we appreciate you joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks, Tim and Lou. Appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.